Welcome to Lambs to Lions. You're listening to the weekly podcast with Pastor Matt Funk. Yeah, we just celebrated uh, Remembrance Day, and I got to go with a bunch of gentlemen from this house, a part of Bikers Against Trafficking, and then in the community, and we rode up to Abbotsford, and wow, that was an, you know, the, the gentleman that started it, Dan, he started, he's a veteran, and he started it because in COVID, they were telling people they could not gather for Remembrance Day and celebrate Remembrance Day. And he said, this ain't happening. So it started off with one guy that ran, uh, that rode his bike in the rain. And then now there was what, almost 30 men that showed up on bikes, you know? So it's just, it's cool. Hey, how one person can, can make a difference. So let's just dive into the word of God today. The title um, might've caught your attention. Hopefully it did. How to kill a dream. <laughs> let's talk about everything not to do, Okay. Uh, I don't know if you've ever been jealous of someone else's relationship or their success uh, to the point that it made you angry. No, not in this house. <laughs> but maybe you wanted to take action, you know, against the dreamer because you thought that oh, yeah, no, that, that couldn't be God. It's, it's in-house. And then maybe you got in the way of what God wanted to do. So I want to talk about three ways to kill a dream. And again, hopefully you'll take these traps and then do the opposite of those things today. So we're going to dive into the story of Joseph is found in Genesis 37. And uh, we have, what do we got here? 36 verses, I think, 36. So we should each get a, at least one read, but why don't we start with... Um, two verses each and just, just see where it goes. Okay, we'll, we'll just dive uh, right in and uh, don't keep the stuff to yourself because uh, James and, and Rick, and I'd actually encourage you if you're not a part of their uh, connect groups to join their connect groups and continue to go deeper because that's what we do as men. So but the first voice, uh, verse that I'd like to point out is uh, verse four of Genesis uh, 37. It says, when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. I think it's hilarious because we joke around as, as parents sometimes or as children and say, well, I'm the favorite, right? But it's right here in the Bible. <laughs> Imagine Joseph's like, hey, it's in the Bible. Dad loved me more than you. So there you go. <laughs> not just a thought. But um, one indication uh, that you might be headed down the wrong path uh, is when you don't speak well of others, right? So you know, the first uh, way to kill a dream is don't speak a kind word. That's the first way that you can attack somebody from advancing or attack a dream is by not speaking a kind word. The tongue has the power of life and death and those that love it will eat its fruit. Proverbs eighteen twenty one. You see, you can speak death over a dream and watch as it disappears. We do this over ourselves. You know, someone once told me the richest place in the world is a graveyard because that's where, you know, dreams go to die. Songs that were never written, books that were never written, you know, churches maybe that were never planted, businesses that never started, where God had placed a dream and a purpose inside of you. But somewhere along the way, you know, it's not just what other people said about your dream. It's what you said about it. Because statistically, you are more likely to believe what you say about something than what others will say about it. 
But when you start to allow that negative talk and that negative thought to come into your life, into your head and into your heart, and once you start to speak it, you won't just destroy your dream, but you might also affect somebody else's. Make sense? The scripture says that they hated uh, Joseph. In Hebrew, the word hate is sene, which is translated hatred, hate, grudge, animosity, hostility, malice, dislike, harbor, and reject. The word that stood out to me in, this, in the translation of the Hebrew here just was harbor. You know, when, when we keep a thought or feeling um, typically a negative one in our mind, we, when we choose to harbor that thing, we choose to park in that port, come on, and we take the wrong position. When we harbor negative thoughts towards somebody else's dreams, we don't become a safe place for them to go, do we? We don't. Interesting that the other word for harbor is exactly that, a a place on the coast where vessels may find shelter, especially protection from rough waters. Man, this this is what we're called to be. This is what this church is called to be. Yes, we are a lighthouse or a harbor where people can come in and they know that it is a safe place that they can come and where we are called to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, where we are called to, to get the dream out of them for the greater purpose of building God's kingdom and not just our own. Life is full of storms and we all need a safe place and a person to go to with our dreams. Proverbs 18.10 says that the name of the Lord is a fortified tower and the righteous run to it, and they are safe. Man, I'd encourage you to just do a little self-reflection in a moment. Pause in his presence and ask yourself this. Am I a safe place for others to come to with their dreams? Am I a safe place? Have I been the harbor that the Lord would hope that I would be? Have I been in my words and in my actions building up, edifying the church and the body of God. Because one of the first indications that you can tell is by our, again, our words. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, right? And I've told you, man, that everything starts with a thought followed by a feeling and then an action. But when we start to speak those things and we know that they're not edifying the church, they're not building up the church, They're not building up God's plans. We need to question ourselves. Am I getting in the way of the dream that God has for the church? Are we a safe place? Or are you always looking for the negative and why it won't work and maybe missing God's will? Because that's the flesh, isn't it? To look always at the natural and always what isn't working as opposed to looking to the God who's always working. Romans 8, 28 says that all things work together for good for those that love the Lord are called according to his purpose. We are told that he can do above and beyond all that we can hope, imagine, or dream of according to his power within us, man, right? We need to stand on the scripture. What does the word say? Thank you, James. You see, people tend to, to feel unsafe when things are out of their control. You know, Joseph's brothers got the, got the dream for, uh, from Joseph. They probably felt unsafe. They felt insecure because of the position that it put Joseph in 
and the position it put them in. But they didn't have the bigger picture, did they? And neither did Joseph, so we'll get to that. See, the brothers were angry towards Joseph. And Ephesians 4.26 says, do not let the sun go down while you're, you're still angry because angry, anger will control you, right? For anger gives a foothold to the devil. That should be a, another indicator. You know, if we got all these indicators on our dashboard and who's it with? Oh, Gary, we went out the other day. We had a little adventure and we were joking around because I've got one of those indicators on my dashboard you know, that tells you that you should check your, either check your, well, temperature gauge went up and then that's a whole other story. But my check engine light has always been on. And he says, you know, there's a way to fix that. You just put some tape over it. (laughs) But don't we try to mask our problems all the time and pretend it isn't there? When when the indicator light of anger goes on, that should be our indication that we, we are to pray, that we are to forgive, that we are to reconcile, to not let the sun go down. The day of your hurt must be the day of your healing. Man, when the indicator light of the anxiety goes on, Philippians 4, 6 to 9 should, sh- should show up and be like, hey, it's time to pray. Be anxious about nothing, but everything through prayer and thanksgiving. Make your request known to God, whatever is godly, loving, and true and noble. Hey, it's time you open up your manual in the glove box. Stop keeping it put away and read what it has to say about the day the Lord has made. He's got, he's got a solution for every problem. Isn't that great? <laughs> so we, we, we just keep masking. I'm just going to keep going and figure this thing out later. Later, Lord, later. He's like, how about now? Don't miss the now. Don't miss the celebration now. Don't miss what I'm doing through your brothers now. Because it doesn't fit within your plans. That makes sense? All right. But in, instead of harboring uh, hope in their heart, instead of Joseph's brothers harboring the hope, What could this mean for our family? They chose hate. And why? Because people often criticize that which they don't understand. Don't we? Often we do. Makes us feel uncomfortable. Uh, Verse 11 of Genesis 37. His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. The second way to kill a dream is jealousy. Being jealous of others. In Hebrew, kwana, it also means envy, to hold a grudge. So we talked about the the harbor. Now we're talking about hold. You harbor something, you hold something, but you're holding on to the wrong things. If you hold a grudge, you you leave no room for the gift. Hope. Think of that. You hold a grudge. How can God put a gift in there? Let go and let God. Cast your cares and burdens upon him. Humble yourself under the right hand of God. And at the right time, his time, not yours, he will lift you up. Humble yourself under the right hand of God. But if we hold on to those other things, we we got no room for the gift. And what Joseph's brothers didn't realize, that gift that Joseph was getting was also a gift for the family. But they didn't see them. They just saw the perspective and their interpretation of that dream. And they missed the bigger picture. They would find out later. King Solomon wrote this in Ecclesiastes 4.3. Then I observe that most people are motivated to success because they envy their neighbors. But this too is meaningless like chasing the wind. 
we can become distracted from the direction that God has for us and his church if all we try to do is compete and compare our dreams that God has given us to the dreams that God has given others. And we miss the alignment because we're too busy on our own assignment. Joseph's dream made his brothers angry and it made them jealous. Why? Because culturally, they knew dreams had meaning. They knew that dreams had importance. And they didn't like where they were placed in that vision. Hope. We might not always like where we are placed in the vision, but there's always a bigger picture. What I'm a part of is a lot bigger than the part I play. Joseph's position would one day be to serve and save his family from starvation. God would use his dream to make a way for Israel to come into Egypt with his 11 brothers who together would become the 12 tribes of Israel. But if we don't get the bigger picture, sometimes the very thing that we run to could be the very thing, the very thing that we escape to can be the very thing that we're enslaved by. If you read on, You'll, you'll, you'll see that Joseph gets put into a place of power, but not after going from the pit to Potiphar's house, to being wrongfully accused, to prison, before he makes it to the palace. He had to go through a lot. But in all of that, God was in it, and God was working. And it's the same for, for you and I, brothers. God's got a bigger picture if we continue to trust in him and lean not in our own understanding, but in all ways acknowledge him and he will direct our path or make it straight. Isn't that right, Jason? Proverbs 3, 5 to 6, he keeps reminding us. But this is what the flesh tends to do. And And if we are jealous of what others have, and what we don't, or what others are doing, and what we're not, it causes unneeded friction among our own families. Doesn't it? Is your, okay, those of you men that are married, has your wife ever caught you putting too much time and energy and effort to get the approval of somebody else? Well, she caught me once. My uh, love, my daddy's watching probably right now, actually, too, on YouTube. Love you, dad. Um, but a son will always seek his father's approval. And anytime I'd, I'd go to show something that my dad, what I did, you know, like my dad's an amazing carpenter, mechanic, uh, aviation mechanic. He can do all things. I wish I was half the man that my father is. He's so skilled. And, um, I remember doing work around uh, the house. I had built the cedar fence and this uh, pergola, and, and my dad had helped me with the deck and did all this work. And then, and then I and I called him up and I showed him some of the work I had done. And then, and then he's like, "Well, you know what you could do? 
you know what you need to do to take it to another level, right? And then he'd give me some great idea and then I would do that thing. And then my wife finally stopped me and said, listen, <laughs> every time you talk to your father and he gives you a suggestion, you keep doing that thing, which is great in one way, but in another way, hey, hey. <laughs> but why was I doing that? I wanted to hear, well done, son. You know, like, what, it, what do I got to do to seek your, your approval? And if you're not careful, you'll exhaust your time, your energy, your resources to go to great lengths, whether directly or indirectly. And you might not realize it, but it might not be what God is calling you to do. And you might go to great lengths directly or indirectly to distract other people or get them off the course. It happened to Nehemiah too. He was building the wall and they try to get him to keep coming down. He says, I will not come down. I am doing a good thing. And not just a good thing, a God thing. Like where did the vision come from? What has God called you to do? And it's so easy to get distracted along the path of doing the right thing and headed in the right direction, isn't it? And exhausting yourself from, and you'll, you'll convince yourself, you'll tell yourself, I'm doing it for my family. And they're like, well, all we want is time with you, dad. I'm doing this for the next generation, for your grandkids. And like, but will we even be around? Will you be around? Hear what I'm saying? Verse 19, it says, they said, here comes the dreamer. <laughs> Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. The third way to kill a dream, plot against the dreamer. <laughs> Come on. When we start plotting against our own brothers, we got a real problem, right? When we interfere with God's plan, there's going to be punishment, long-term punishment. My personal conviction has always been that I don't want to get in the way of what God is doing in others' lives, especially if it's part of his plan and not just their own. I don't always understand or interpret the dream, but that doesn't mean that I need to get in the way. As a pastor, I love, if you know me, I love to hear the dreams that people have. And I'm always looking for at the bigger picture. How does their dream align with God's will for his church? And how can we equip the saints for the work of the ministry? Paul said to the church in Ephesus in Ephesians 4, 11, 12, he says, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip his people for the work of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Men, let's not get caught in small thinking when God gives others a big dream for his church. Come on. In Joseph's case, he wasn't able to again even interpret his dream. And it wouldn't be until he was in prison that God would teach him 
how to interpret the dreams of others before the dream God gave him and his family would actually come to pass. And that's something. How quick are we sometimes to interpret a dream or a vision that God gives us and tell us, well, pastor, this is the way it's got to be. This is what I saw. And it's like, well, well, I didn't see bushels bowing down to your brothers. You didn't turn into, literally turn into bushels, did you? Come on. You know what I'm saying? He gives us a piece of the picture and then he puts people in our lives, apostles, right? He puts prophets, he puts teachers. He puts people in our lives to help us align the dream and get that dream out of us for the work of the ministry. And Joseph's dream was actually a part of his father's dream, Jacob, who we know as Israel, and was connected to his father's dream, Isaac, and his father, Abraham. You see, it was all part of the same dream that came from God to fulfill his purpose for the greater plan to send God's son, Jesus, so that he would save us all and that he would be glorified. It was all part of the bigger vision of counting stars. Isn't that beautiful? Men, you may kill the dreamer, but you can't kill the dream. You can't kill the dream. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word today. We thank you for the relevance that it speaks to us. We thank you for the reminder that it gives us as, as men, as fathers, as husbands, as leaders, that our dream is not our own, it's yours. And Lord, we wanna come into alignment with how that fits for your kingdom. And Lord, we wanna be obedient to what you're calling us to in this season. And I thank you, Lord, that you are not a God of confusion. You're a God of clarity. I pray for clarity of minds in this house. I pray for alignment for the body of Christ, for all churches in our community, throughout Fraser Valley, throughout the world, Lord Jesus. We thank you for victory that is found in you. And Lord, now as we we've, we've take this word, we pray for that boldness to submit our works to you, knowing that you will establish our ways. In Jesus' name, amen. I get you men to stand with me. Every time we gather, everywhere we go, all this points to the gospel. All this points to the good news. You know, I could have gone through every part of that scripture from uh, Joseph being sold for the silver coins, for the blood that was put on his robe. Everything points to Jesus, our Redeemer. And if you're here today and either you've been struggling with a dream, you've given up on a dream, you've given up on yourself, maybe you're struggling with even hearing the dreams of others. It all begins with alignment with Jesus. And I'd encourage you, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus yet, or you've been slightly off and you haven't been putting him first, that you'd come to him right here, right now. Paul says in Romans 10 verse 9, if we believe in our hearts, 
that God the Father raised his son from the grave, if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, that we will be saved. This is the starting point, and it's the end point. Jesus. And so I want to lead us through a prayer and to do just that. You're watching online. You're listening to this podcast right now. Wherever you are, God sees you. And I want to speak to the dreamer inside of you that you would let in the creator of that dream now in Jesus' name. Repeat after me. Say, dear Jesus, I believe. I believe you came and you died for me. And I believe that you rose from the grave. Come into my heart. Be Lord over my life. I'm turning from my ways, from my plans, and I'm submitting my dreams to you. I lay it all on the altar. And I choose now to follow you all the days of my life. I ask for your forgiveness for my sins. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Stay in the moment, eyes closed. Two questions. First, if the Lord convicted you this morning through the word, spoke to you through his word, on the dream that he's placed inside of you or those around you, you just lift your hand up and say, God spoke to me today. Thank you, Jesus. Yes, yes, yes. That's God's word speaking to you directly. The second is this. If you prayed that prayer, which we just prayed either for the first time or coming back to him today, would you just lift up your hand now? Count of three, three, two, one. Let's go. Thank you. And if that's you online and, and you did that too, would you private message me? Would you let me know? I just love to celebrate with you. Wow. I sense that I, I need to remind you the Lord has given you something. The Lord has reminded you of something. You may have said no to him once before when he told you to do something. And he's reminding you of that time. He's reminding you of the dream that he placed inside of you where, where you gave up, where you put it on the shelf. And he's asking you to pull it back off the shelf. And he's also asking you to write it down. You take the time to write so many other things and whether it be for work or other conversations you've been having, but you're not, you haven't taken the time to write the dream down and make it plain. For Habakkuk 2, 2 says, write the vision down and make it plain so those that read it can run with it. And you say, well, pastor, I've written it before, but it's time to rewrite it. God has got, given you more clarity. He's given you more insight and he's giving you more foresight to what that dream looks like. Rewrite it. Rewrite it. Well, men, where do we go from here? Well, we believe in the Great Commission, do we not? 
And in that, it says to go into all the world, making disciples, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey his commands. And surely he is with us always, even to the ends of this earth. You know, and I don't know if you caught my, my little paragraph that I sent out to you guys just the other day, and God had put on my heart. But he reminded me of a vision, and I'll share it again with you. And that that is that God would take our 30 men and turn it to 300. 300 fighting men. He's trained you, he's equipped you. There's no, there's no longer Boy Scouts in here. Come on. There's Marines. And he's calling us to train others and to equip the saints for the work in the ministry. I see a full house of men that will go out, whether they go back to their, their churches and back to their families, back to their communities. Some that will even go to great lengths to travel a great distance to be here in your presence. That have listened and watched online and all around the world, but 300 mighty men of God that will change this world for his kingdom and for his glory. So but part of that process, men, is is baptism. And in baptism, it's, it's saying we're all in. The word baptism translated in the Greek is to be fully immersed, fully immersed. In Romans, it says when we go into the water that we are buried with Christ, you're actually baptized with Christ. It represents when he went to the grave. And you say goodbye to the old you, the old man, the old boy stays dead in the water. When you come up out of the water, it says that you are resurrected with Christ. Powerful. One of the most powerful things that we get to witness and we get to be a part of. And so, men, if there's any men in the house that have not yet been baptized, or maybe, maybe you didn't even know what you were doing when you did it. Maybe you were baptized into religion. Maybe you were baptized as a child and you didn't even have a choice. But if you are in any way convicted to come forward today, we will not stand in the way and we'd be honored to stand with you in baptism. Let's worship God. Thank you for tuning in today, and thank you for continuing to partner with us and for giving so generously to this ministry. If you would like to find out more about how you can partner with us, visit our website at www.wherepeoplematter.church and click the giving link. And don't forget to subscribe and share this with your friends. See you next time.